if you could spend a moment with some remarkable people and discover what the life sounds like, what would you ask? Welcome to Are We On Air, an audio encounter. I'm Armand Nafei, and each episode will feature one conversation with an inspiring friend of mine who will share with us the soundtrack to their life. another episode of Are We On Air? The idea behind Are We On Air was to build a library of knowledge, music and taste. And this week we begin the conversation with the important role and influence libraries had on our guest. The legendary musician, artist, writer and label owner that is David Byrne. David zoomed in from New York while I was sitting in Ibiza watching the sunset. Hence, you hear some birds in the background. I do apologize for them. We of course talked about the talking hats and the story behind the iconic words that are This must be the place. But we also talked about our shared love of world music and David's incredible music label Luaka Pop that he launched in 1988. Anyway, you are in for a treat. And as always, you can find us on Instagram, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and on areonair.com. And thank you all for your lovely feedback. It's very touching when you send us messages. We love them all. And if you want to say hi, you can always send us a DM. Now, let's get to it. And don't forget to share the love. Well, welcome to Are We On Air, David Byrne. Thank you. What a thank pleasure you. and honor to have you. Thank you. <laughs> So what, where, where do we begin here? We begin by trying to paint a picture of who you are and your life through a couple of songs. And it's slightly chronologically uh, set. So we would start with what is your earliest significant musical memory that shaped you as an artist? My earliest uh, musical memory. Significant. Yes. So yeah, yeah. Whatever where was the moment, yeah. Uh, it was probably listening to... Music on a little transistor radio, for those of you listeners who don't know what those are, they're about the size <laughs> of a cigarette pack, let's say, and um, the sound quality was less than a phone. Music and Big Dan Ingram next on the home of the All-Americans, W-A-B-C, New York. More music on <laughs> but that was, but you could get kind of AM and FM sometimes, uh, mm. radio things and tune into a station. So I lived in suburban Baltimore and I would tune into the local, you know, pop station, top 40 station or whatever. And uh, at one point I heard uh, the birds version of Mr. Tambourine Man. Mm. And that was a revelation to me. Jingle, jangle, morning, welcome, 
Uh, not only were the words completely inscrutable, I had no idea what <clears throat> what they were referring to. Uh, it seemed to be they seemed to be referring to some otherworldly kind of bohemia, some kind of really cool hip world where people kind of hung out, talked about poetry, and talked in these kind of metaphorical, symbolic uh, phrases. We don't talk like, we didn't talk like that in suburban Baltimore when I was a child. Um, I was aware that, uh, I was aware of beat poets uh, and writers from my local public library, uh, etc. So I thought, oh, this is, this has a little bit of an affinity to that. There's a connection there. Some of that, the way the language is used, kind of using uh, vernacular language in poetry as opposed to kind of mm. kind of a, a stilted language. I liked that. It's the B generation. It's Bayat. It's the beat to keep. It's the beat of the heart. It's being beat and down in the world and like old time lowdown. And like in ancient civilizations, the slave boatmen rowing galleys to a beat. And servants spinning pottery to a beat. I don't think I knew that it was Bob Dylan who wrote the wrote the song at that point. It was just to me, this is a song by the birds, and the music was startling. The the uh, the twelve string guitar that was very kind of chimey sounding to me uh, sounded like a, a Balinese gamelan. Mm. Um, I was aware of gamelan music because again, my local public library had vinyl that you could take out for three days at a time. Oh, wow. And they had all these wow. folkways records of recordings from all over the world. Um, I think there was none such had a series also of recordings like that. Uh, I was fascinated by that. It made me realize that, wow, there's, all, there's other kinds of music beyond the top 40. So this... There's another world. Yeah, there's yeah. another world. Mm -hmm. And... I heard this uh, this music and I thought, well, that's exactly what I thought. I thought there's another world out there. This is a mm -hmm. this is a message from another world, and they've put it on the top forty. I did This wasn't a conspiracy, but I thought it's uh, somehow this other world is communicating to me through the top forty radio. And I realized that this was uh, the exception, not the rule. Most of the top forty radio was stuff I was not interested in. It was kind of formulaic pop music that I, I kind mm. of thought is not very interesting. So be... Didn't, didn't resonate with you. Didn't yeah. resonate. So you'd get something like this. And it also had these kind of very sweet, airy harmonies uh, in the vocal, which were maybe reminiscent of, let's say, Peter, Paul, and Mary. The Kingston Trio. Shady Grove, my little love, Shady Grove unknown. Shady Grove, my little love, bound for Shady Grove. Lips as red as a blooming rose, eyes of the deepest brown. You are the darling of my heart, stay till the sun goes down. Shady or New Christy Minstrel. John Henry. 
something like that, kind of folk harmonies in a way, but taken out of context. So they're no, no longer in that kind of folk context. Now they're put in this context of this very interesting sounding rock music. But also not in a religious context, right? That's where in a choir you usually have harmonies. Yes. But where in the context of folk music, it has a whole different experience. Yes. It yeah. has that kind of physical kind of singing, vocal, vocalization sensation, but it's taken, it's mm -hmm. very secular, but it has that, still has those kind of uplifting overtones to it. And uh, so all of that, all of that was just kind of opened my world, yeah, opened my ears to the fact that there was another world out there. And that someday, someday I thought, someday I'm going to visit that world. So that would have been my first, that I remember, memorable musical experience. <laughs> And what an experience. I mean, the birds. I think about that period of music and, as we were just mentioning, harmonies a lot. I was like, what is it about harmonies that, I mean, later on, of course, Crosby, Stills and Nash, um, that it evokes a certain feeling like uh, within us and also Simon Garfunkel at the same time. There was a period of uh, harmonies were kind of taken out of the churches, so to say, and put into, into a radio format. And became huge. I mean, we're talking about stadium level. And I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot, What, how it makes me feel. Why did it become so popular? Which is great, obviously. I don't know. I, um, I think to some extent I was unaware of technically what was going on there. Mm. That there, was, there But it's a visceral experience. No? Yeah, it's a visceral experience. You heard uh. it. Uh, you heard it. it. It was a different kind of harmony. It was in some ways closer to country music. Mm. So you had people like El, not Elvis, uh, like the Everly Brothers. Bye bye love, bye bye happiness, hello loneliness. I think I'm gonna cry. Bye bye love, bye bye sweet caress, hello emptiness. I feel like I could die. Bye bye my love, goodbye. The harmony was very present, um, as opposed to, say, a lot of pop music, mm. where the harmony is kind of recessive. It's kind of a, a ghost in the background to kind of enhance mm. the, main, the main singer. But in, in uh, a lot of these records in this tradition, the harmony and the main singer are almost on an equal level. There's almost a parody. Mm meaning kind of equality, between the various singers that way, uh, as opposed to it being this hierarchical, mm. everything is meant to support the, the lead. And uh, you got that in a lot of those acts that you mentioned. And it, it had a different feeling. It had a different feeling than a lot of the pop music. And it seemed to come out of, I, I thought it came out of like gospel music, country music, things like that. But I was not that aware of a lot of gospel music and country music. I was aware of gospel and country, again, through kind of these folk recordings, these field recordings that were available in the public library. I wasn't as aware of commercial gospel or co commercial pop recording, uh, country recordings. I came to those a little bit later and ended up really liking them a lot. Well, going back to you and... How would you, it's a very difficult one to answer, but how would you describe yourself with three records or three songs that are not your recordings? Wow. Um, <laughs> how would I describe Or how would you myself? like to be perceived as with those uh, three songs? I'm thinking of songs, again, where the, the words are used in a different way than 
what might have been used in uh, rock music even, and certainly pop music. And so I heard things like, oh, you know, be like Velvet Underground or um, let's see what else. Um, well, that's, those kind of songs are, are good enough. You heard kind of uh, ordinary language being used, being used as a kind of poetry in a way, as opposed to more kind of self-conscious attempts at poetry. And that was something for me. I realized that I could, uh, the poetry could be the language that we speak. Song lyrics could be the language that we speak and the, word, the language that we use to talk to one another. And it didn't have to be this separate world that was separate from our love. Mm. Yeah, it could be more relatable that way. Uh, I remember, uh, okay, another thing would be... Do you, do you have a particular lyric or track from the Velvet um, Underground in mind? I didn't, uh, I didn't quite understand. Maybe I still don't understand. This one's like, uh, I think it's called Some Kind of Love. Is that the one? Some Kind of Love. No Kind of Love is Better Than Others. Something like that. <laughs> Some Kind of Love. Margarita Total. Between thought and expression. Lies a lifetime. Situations arise because of the weather, and no kinds of love are better than others. And I didn't know what exactly they were talking about, and but uh, it was the mystery of it. But a mystery revealed using kind of ordinary language was. Mm. Very important. Did you ever get to see them perform back then in, in New York? Uh, no, not in New York. They performed at a, at a university near where, uh, near where I lived in suburban Baltimore. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, at a younger age uh, and quite a bit afterwards, there was a lot of R&B that was very influential, whether it was mm. uh, things like James Brown, who I think at one point or somebody, he or somebody said treated every instrument like a percussive percussion instrument. I used to tell the guys in the James Brown band, listen, sometimes it don't matter if you don't play exactly what it is. All he wants, as long as you're grooving him, uh -huh. that's the only thing matters. If the groove is happening, lock that groove up. Listen, you know, you play bass, mm -hmm. you know, you can play a, play a song, and, uh, and you're playing the line or whatnot, but then, which is refreshing is when you can just put Steve in, oh. kick some Steve up in that line, you know? Yeah, that the way the instruments interact with one another um, can be very important, and it can be, it can have a kind, again, a kind of transcendent feeling. When that kind mm. of mechanism all clicks into place, um, it's really kind of magical. And people love it. They dance to it, and they they find it really exciting. And I, and I, I thought part of that is because um, I thought it's, it's because of the integrity of each part. Each part has its integrity, but no single part um, defines the whole. The whole is defined by the kind of whatever, the collaboration or the combination mm -hmm. of all the stuff working together. Uh, like, yeah, like a Swiss clock. 
<laughs> but later on, much later, um, this would have been in the late 70s or early 80s, I started thinking, oh, this is, a, this is also a kind of social model. This kind of music, and maybe all kinds of music. I think I was reading some things about African music, some things by the folklorist uh, Alan Lomax, who wanted to kind of find a connection between people's cultural attitudes and the kind of music and dancing that they did. Uh, and I thought, oh, this, yes, it really is in some ways a model of a social social system. And in some cases, the social system is, is uh, egalitarian and sort of democratic. In other cases, it's very hierarchical and kind of dominated by whoever's on top. And I thought, hmm, okay. Uh, I wonder if these really, I mean, it's uh, probably an exaggeration to, to claim that. But there might be a little bit of an element of truth in it. That uh, certainly, I think there's an there's an element of truth to the fact that we sense um, intuitively this kind of connection, this kind of whatever, this kind of emergent quality in certain kinds of music, and that is a source of joy for us. It's it gives us pleasure to hear that. Mm. It's a, it's a you're part of it, and I think we also resonate when you when you hear a very tight live band. It elevates you on a whole different level than just listening to the sound to the music. I mean, you mentioned some African of uh, the African heritage. I think Tina Riven is a perfect example of that. Where I think it's an uh, the combo the combination of these twelve men on stage dancing and chanting themselves and the audience into some sort of trance mm -hmm. uh, which i think this communal you're part of this tribe experience it's a tribal experience i think which actually going back to our harmonies early on i think it's the same i think the same effect in a way it's it's a belonging a visceral yeah. belonging I think. yeah i think an yeah. audience really it happens on stage but it also happens in the audience in their kind of viewing and listening and the their whole experience. So that's what, yeah, that's what makes it important. the past year was not so easy <laughs> and, to, and, and we went back to like video only shows really and live streams so that part really fell away and I'm sure it will come back and I think it's already slowly starting to come back um, but how do you see I mean we uh, there's a new awareness of, of the new digital norm like um, do you think live performances moving forward are going to be different or it's going to be a combination like a hybrid with live videos and live streams. I mean, I think American Utopia and Stop Making Sense were kind of pioneering that pre-pandemic, so to say, like the art of, of a really well done, thought-provoking video performance, right? A live video performance. What if we could eliminate 
everything from the stage except the stuff we care about the most. Without cables or wires, what would be left? Well, it would be us and you. And that's what the show is. As people, we're a work in progress. Who we are, it extends beyond ourselves. To the connections between all of us. I think, I mean, I can't predict the future, but what, what's your take on this? What do you think? Life performs a heading. Probably like a lot of people, I, I checked out a fair number of kind of live performances during the pandemic that were, mm. and uh, whether it was Zoom performances or live concerts that have been, were presented on streaming services or things like that. And without being too immodest, it's pretty hard to pull it off. <laughs> it's, sometimes it works. Sometimes it works really well. Mm -hmm. and other times it just doesn't catch it. Um, and it might even be a great concert, too. It, b b sometimes I think it's uh, the concert has to maybe have an arc to it. It has to evolve and change over the course of the, the evening for it to work on, on video or film or whatever. Uh, it has to have something more, a kind of story that it's telling beyond just a bunch of songs one after another. Though they might be great songs and everybody's going to really love to hear them. For it to be a kind of that kind of flat screen experience, I think it needs to have something else going on as well. Um, yeah, so those, I mean, it's, those kinds of things are great, but I have a feeling that people are really yearning to experience live stuff again. Um, I haven't been to much. I kind of worked with some collaborators to, to create a kind of live dance event. Um, but I haven't been to much live music yet. I've been to like one, one thing so far, which was great. But it, it was a, a, a friend who was kind of doing a, it was, a, an, it was called as an Afrofuturist cabaret. So each, each, each artist had like maybe 10 minutes. Uh, and it was kind of in that in that theme, um, and some of it worked really well. Very small audience. I don't know what it was. You know, maybe like twenty five <laughs> people. Oh wow! You know, all sitting separately and masked and everything like that. And so, but I'm optimistic that that will change. That will things will start to open up before too long, as they have done in yeah. Certain I mean, countries. that's the, that's the big hope. I think this summer we're going to start seeing. Well, in the U.S., I think for sure, some, some smaller events. Let's put it that way. Yes, it's it's in our genes. We need to be come. We need to come mm -hmm. together. <laughs> One of the tracks from uh, "Stop Making Sense." I'm very curious what your take is on that. Took its a life on of its own, which is this must be the place. Why do you think that this phrase, or why is this phrase resonating with youth culture? I mean, from indie band covers to T-shirts and neon signs and Instagram posts. What is it that people feel so connected to this sentence, this phrase? Well, 
I, I saw it on a keychain, a keychain the other day that was in, in, in a store. <laughs> um, I can't. I mean, what does it, what do you think? What do you fear when you see something like this? I mean, you got to, I mean, I'm sure you giggle, yeah. but it, isn't that I, funny I, how something just yeah, moved yeah, on it's from you? Okay. That's obviously has a, some kind of resonance for people. Um, I can't claim to have originated the phrase. I think I heard it somewhere else. It might have been mm. uh, from a Laurie Anderson song. It might have been uh, some other, you know, some other thing that that she got it from. Uh, <laughs> and but I think for people, it implies that they have found something that they were looking for. That, that they've been looking for something, whether it's a place, a person, or uh, a, a kind of more centered uh, frame of mind, and that they've they've found that at least temporarily, anyway. Uh, I think that's what it that implies that they yeah. But of course, I turned it into a love song, which is uh, was <laughs> tricky for me to do because I thought I want to write a love song, but I want to write a love song that's not using all the normal cliches, um, mm. and because they've pretty much all been used up, and you start is is true, emotionally true as some of them might be, um, they start to lose some of that impact and meaning because we've heard so many of them so often so i thought i have to try and come up with new ones uh that are equally meaningful mm. but uh haven't been heard a million times and then uh came up with the words for that song and then sometime after i wrote it um a musician came up to me and said um this song is kind of amazing it's all non sequiturs it doesn't really follow a kind of linear kind of trajectory. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, but it emotionally, it all connects. It follows an emotional trajectory, not a kind of traditional narrative trajectory. reason why <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful track well artists have a sixth sense when it comes to showing us where the world is heading um, and obviously the current climate has forced humanity to work from home and avoid each other quite the opposite to downtown new york in the 70s and 80s where it was very dense and it, it, it was like a cooking pressure of creativity happening out of that how do you think we'll this, the past year and a half, affect creativity and culture at large? Kind of two opposing ways in a way, contradictory ways in a way. I f it seems to me that people uh, realize that they can do things on their own, 
They don't. Mm. They don't have to be in the office all the time, or whatever that all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but I think they also realize that there there's a real kind of hole missing when people are not able to get together. That there's something really human about being able to be together and interact with other people, uh, just being in the same room with other people. Um, I, <laughs> sometimes that's enough. And not you don't even have to be like talking to everyone. Just being together is something that's kind of so basic to our nature. Um, I, if I were to predict, I, I would. It would be nice to think that people would value that communal experience and really play, really see the value in it more than they have, <clears throat> say, in the last decade or so. I find that with digital mm. technology and a lot of uh, other things that are going on, we become very atomized. Uh, we be the society becomes a society of individuals instead of a society of communities. Maybe people will realize that we've lost, we lose something when that happens. Yeah, it's the human connection. That's yeah. What's, yeah, that's, that's what's, that's, that's uh, going back to the tribal feel yeah, of belonging. The, thing, trick, the trick then is how um, to be tribal without it being kind of this tribes that war against one another. How do you do that? Yes. I mean... I mean, the current climate in Palestine uh, being an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I asked this question, uh, Marina Abramovic, she, she said, and the same question goes to you, as an artist, it's okay to, you you are alone. You, it's actually great being alone because you're in your studio, you're in your thoughts, you're in, with your creative work. You don't need the people around you in that sense. As an artist yourself, does that apply to you as well when you create your artwork? Less, I mean, music in that sense. I often collaborate, but I also also spend a lot of time working alone, whether it's drawing mm -hmm. or working on songs or whatever. A lot of it is done alone. But then, then there's also a collaborative aspect to it as well, working with other musicians or producers or uh, other theatrical collaborators, choreographers, whatever it might be. It's very much, a, very much more collaborative. It in that stage than what Marina's work is. Um, and yet, mm. I would say that her her core work is performance, which requires an audience. She may be alone as the performer, but it doesn't really exist in the way that it, you know, it, it doesn't really come into being until there is an audience there. So there's a reflection again, an exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's true. I actually didn't think of that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but how, how important is silence and solitude to creativity or to your creativity? Uh, pretty important to me. Yeah, moments anyway, not all the time. I'm, I'm Right now I'm in a what I think used to be a bedroom in this apartment and I've turned it into my <laughs> music room and it's, it's pretty quiet in here. Do you, do you listen to music when you create, when you work on your artwork? Do you have something in the background that inspires you when you create? No. Uh, probably, I, I'm going to guess that like other musicians, we listen to music with a, a different part of our, the brain. We, we start to, it's just second nature. We start to analyze it. You go into it and you go, you have to. oh, look what they did yeah. there. Oh, how did they do that? Oh, that was really unexpected. Or that was beautiful. Or that was, oh, that was pretty corny right there. You kind of, you're kind of, analyzing it as it goes you're not listening just i mean i, I do listen for pure pleasure 
but it is often a different part of the brain starts to click in and you kind of do it. Not that you can't get pleasure from it at the same time. So I find that I listen, uh, if I'm riding my bicycle in a park, let's say, or someplace not a, not a busy street, or if I'm doing the dishes or cooking, cutting onions or <laughs> something like that, I'll put on music and I'll listen and I can just really kind of, yeah. Can you give us a track that's on that playlist when you're cooking? Uh, <laughs> wow. Give me a, it's in the other room. Um, there's a collaboration <laughs> yeah. that, uh, the other, the last thing I listened to, is a collaboration that Johnny Greenwood, the the musician from Radiohead did with a group of Rajasthani uh, musicians to oh, double wow. album. Well, vinyl. On vinyl, it's double album. Uh, that's that was pretty nice. I was listening to that while I was cooking. Do you, do you collect vinyl? Do you have a big vinyl I collection? A, well, I <laughs> I didn't mm -hmm. throw away all my... I threw away some of my vinyl when CDs came in. No! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. You know, the ones the, the ones that I thought, oh... Um, like a lot of people, I thought, oh, you know, the CDs of this record's going to sound better. And, yeah, and how wrong I was. But I did keep a lot of the kind of the more, more obscure ones because I thought this may not ever come out on CD. Every time it changes, there's always kind of a culling, different kinds of things yeah. uh, become popular and other things get left in the wayside every time there's a kind of uh, a new technology. Um, a lot of the current pop music is created for streaming. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you yeah. know, it, it wouldn't work. Yeah, you have to grab attention in the well, first but, 30 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, there are producers specialized just in that, <laughs> uh, knowing how the, basically that working with the algorithm of these streaming mm -hmm. platforms. But um, one of those obscure records that you didn't throw away, could you share one with us? Oh, yeah, there's lots of them. There's so many of them. Um, okay, I listened to that one, the, uh, the collaboration that Johnny Greenwood did. But that's a pretty new one. Um, mm. One that I... There was a couple that I didn't throw away. Oh. One was a, a record by the McGarrigal sisters, um, Kate and Anna McGarrigal, and they did a record called French Record, and where they sang every song. They're from Montreal, and so they every song they sang was in French. Um, and it was part of their musical culture. And I thought the songs were just beautiful, really nice songs. It's an old, it's an old record. Yeah, so that's like from... As you said, the vinyl collection that didn't get kind of thrown away kept that one. <laughs> Thank you. 
one day hopefully go through your record collection have a look and it peak I love others <laughs> why did I put on the other day uh, the other day I also put on well you know yeah some some things that came out on CD when they put them out in vinyl it ends up being like a double record mm. there was one by a, a group called Mouse on Mars oh yeah um, yeah Nigun I forget the name of the title the title of the record Mouse on Mars, I think, is from maybe they're from uh, Dusseldorf or uh, Berlin or someplace. And uh, really nice record. Yeah, really nice. sometimes a mixture of electronic and sometimes brass arrangements with electronic beats and things. Really nice. Like back then, in 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 New York, like in the 70s, 80s, still the 90s. I mean, New York was still a, a hot spot for creativity. I mean, there was so much happening. The currency was not money. It was what art, what what what's your creative output? That was the currency. I mean, it must have been very inspiring to be around back then, comparison to today. I guess where it's when, less of this energy. When there's things going on around you, you don't think, oh, this is a special moment. You just kind of get on with it mm. and kind of go, oh, uh, oh, look, there's kind of a a graffiti artist who's now kind of doing some music. That let's let's see what that's about. Or, you know, mm. there's somebody who's who's uh, kind of a kind of punk musician who's decided to make a kind of jazz combo. What is that? What is so that cool. going to sound like? It. Right and. Uh, Yeah, there's all kinds of things like that were happening. It's really nice, but I, there's there's a lot happening now too. Uh, there's you know the the numbers mm. say that there's more records, more recordings being uploaded now than ever before, uh, more than we could possibly make sense of or ever ever hear or even yeah, listen, ever to, listen yeah. to. Yeah. So the question then is not like the question is yeah. How do we hear the stuff that's relevant to us, the, the stuff that has meaning to us? Yeah. I mean, that's the conversation where algorithm of these platforms, for instance, dictate what we're listening to, uh, or at least the majority of the people, and then where the so-called music curators, the one, the gatekeepers that still filter and share become more relevant again, which was, and I include myself into this because that's what I do, but it, the, I, I can see there was a resurrection again. For there's more demand for this because it's just so much out there that it's it's too overwhelming for most people. And you know, oh, absolutely, it's overwhelming for to me too. Um, so I I would anybody who who uh, recommends a few things to me that and I, that I like, I will continue to kind of. 
follow their recommendations and, and if they say, recommend something, I'll check it out. I mean, one thing that I always love checking out and one thing I admire and love about you is, is your record label, uh, Luaka Pop, and also that you used at such an early stage in, we're talking about late 70s, early 80s, your platform and your voice to show the Western ear Eastern and Southern sounds, so to say, more worldly sounds and bring them into your own production. Also showcasing and highlighting that, as you said, there is another world outside top 40 or American or Western music. Um, that's our shared love. And I admire my admiration and chapeau to you. <laughs> um, was there like a performance or artist that, uh, that it just grabbed your attention the first time you heard it or saw it and inspired you so much? to for, for your for yourself or for the label mm. oh yes um this would have been sometime in the 80s i don't know mid 80s maybe i'm not sure exactly when um there were all these clubs in new york there would be you know like a rock club and a punk club there'd be a jazz place there'd be um and then it'd be salsa clubs and sometimes they were all on the same street uh so i thought oh i'm gonna kind of dip my toe in in the water and see what all these different places are about just out of curiosity uh mm. and i discovered that some of the salsa clubs were not only was the music really kind of to me very moving uh i mean emotionally just kind of really sensuous beautiful melodies and rhythms everything like that it was also music to dance to and i think because mm -hmm. Other than kind of, say, disco and, and some funk music, a lot of dance music in kind of had gone away. Li anyway, live dance music I'm talking about, mm. you know, club music that you could dance to. But live performance that you could dance to had gone away for a large part. And then I walked into these clubs and people were dancing. There was a dance floor and the music was great. And I fell in love with that music. And I think it, it, it helped me as a person, you know, psychologically, it helped me kind of help figure things out in my, and, and how to emotionally be in the world. Um, I loved that music, and a lot of it had Cuban roots, whether it was Celia Cruz or other, other musicians. A lot of it was, mm. at some point, was refer referred to as Afro-Cuban music, and then as it became more indigenous to New York, it became known as salsa. So that was, that was one example. I heard that, and uh, eventually we put out some records of Cuban musicians that had been, well, had not been released in the U.S. due to the embargo. And then we discovered, oh, if we don't, if we don't uh, record new music, we can record catalog music that's there and it would let, let people hear the kind of creativity that's been going on there. Around, maybe around the same time I was hearing all this Brazilian music that was also really beautiful, but very, very sophisticated in another way. 
I mean, musically and harmonically, lyrically, it wasn't, this was not all music for dancing. Some of it was, but a lot of it was very, very sophisticated pop music. E novamente ele chegou com inspiração Com muito amor, com emoção, com explosão em gol Sacudindo a torcida aos 33 minutos do segundo tempo and to me this was like wow if our top top 40 or whatever could be songs like this what an amazing thing that would be <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> i think about this a lot uh there's so much color and so much depth in world music and and uh you hear references and sometimes copies of course in western sounds and and i think global pop is huge right now i mean i think it reached a i think also thanks to the streaming platforms and making it more accessible like technology played a big role in this to make it more accessible for the world to experience but i think it's so important that people see that there is this other world outside and be influenced and i think that's where music and culture plays a role also to to, to tear down walls and and borders you know it makes it, it humanizes each other us humans mm -hmm. with other cultures you know it's not this foreign thing it's suddenly something that you can relate to i think that that's why it's an important thing to do right now a lot of uh, african pop musicians are beginning to collaborate with north american r&b artists or hip-hop artists and that, that's happening right now so i think that's that's really encouraging mm. that will kind of open up a door and i think a lot of other things will get heard definitely um what's the could you pick two tracks from the Cuban and from the Brazilian records of that time. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's one on uh, one of the Brazilian records. I think it's called, the record is, collection is called El Samba. It's a collection of sambas, but it also, we cheat and kind of put some other rhythms in there as well. There's a song called Filos de Ganji, uh, the sons of, sons of Gandhi. And it's, the song is a, celebration of a kind of men's fraternal organization in Salvador, in the state of Bahia. Parece um sol derramado, um céu prateado, um mar de estrelas. Revela a leveza de um povo sofrido, de rara beleza que vive cantando profunda grandeza. A sua riqueza vem lá do passado, de lá do congado. Eu tenho certeza, filhas de Gandhi. 
instance, when you think of men's fraternal organization, you think of Masons or something like that. This is not exactly that, although they do meet regularly and they do perform good works in that, in that kind of way. But it also, they also celebrate uh, Yoruban, African culture, that is the roots of a lot of um, Brazilian musical creativity. Um, they revere, no surprise, they revere Mahatma Gandhi uh, as kind of an example mm -hmm. to be followed. Um, oh, and all that gets thrown into the pot. So you have black African, black Brazilian men singing in Yoruba with kind of the image of Gandhi mixed in with that. And it's just like, what the hell? I mean, it's beautiful, but it's kind of, it comes up with something new. And the song celebrates them. They were kind of being seen as like the, this fringe outfit uh, during Carnival. And this song came out, I think it might have been written by Gilberto Gil, but it was uh, sung in this case by, uh, oh, what's her name? A, a woman singer who tragically passed away uh, has an amazing voice and at one point I asked uh, the Brazilian singer and songwriter Caetano Veloso I said can you name a song that has actually made a difference in the world uh, because you know we, we all we all we <laughs> always ask that do songs can a songs can music actually make a difference or is it are we just always preaching to the choir and uh, he said, that song, Filos de Ganji, you know, you'd, you'd think he would pick something that was like a protest song about, you know, government repression or something. He said, no, it was this song about this fraternal organization. They were kind of on their last legs and kind of whatever. He said, it brought a renewed appreciation. And now they have thousands and thousands of members. They fill the streets when they during carnival. Wow. Uh, he just said it, it made, and it also made a profound respect for their kind of, their connection with Yoruban culture, the Orishas and Candomblé and, and uh, the African gods and all, all of that, that, all those connections. They've helped, this song helped kind of show respect for all that as well. So, yeah. He said that a, so a song did make a difference. Wow. Uh, did you see uh, Caetano Veloso and Gilberto G when they came to the Brooklyn Museum uh, at yeah, the yeah, yeah. yes. a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Just two men and an acoustic guitar and the place would be... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great show. Great album, live recording. Futebol e carnaval, nada muda, tudo escuro até onde eu me lembro. Uma dor que é sempre igual. Existe alguém em nós, em muitos dentre nós, esse alguém que brilha mais do que milhões de sóis e que a escuridão conhece também. Existe alguém aqui, fundo no fundo de você, de, que grita para quem quiser ouvir. Quando canta assim, 
Well, I mean, I could talk for hours and it's an honor and a pleasure talking. I love your book, How Music Works. Such a great book. Uh, and anyone interested in music and, and mm -hmm. want to learn more about it in a more intellectual way, uh, I, I highly recommend it. Going back to you and going slightly more intimate, what's your go-to falling in love or heartbreak song? Oh, it's, um, there was one that I listened to a lot in the beginning of the pandemic when a lot of us were... You know, it wasn't, it's, it was not love heartbreak, but it was just like social heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Social you heartbreak, know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a song by this woman, Chris, Christine and the Queens, that uh, she did a song, uh, I yes. think, called People I've Been Sad. I've been listening to the whole year It's a beautiful well. song. And <laughs> what funny. I thought was unique about it is, um, you know, it's about sadness and depression and how do I get out of this, but it's, it's also very uplifting. The kind of the nature of her Absolutely. singing and the music yeah. and the beats, it makes you feel like she's going to get through this. It's true that people have been sad. People have been sad. It's true that people have been gone. People have been gone. It's true that people have been missing songs uh, that are kind of helping and also it's it's you can it's like a confidant right you, you know somebody else went through this you can you relate to it but it, the music is not the sound is not putting it down it's actually an upper it, it brings you up it lifts you uh, i think those that's a very fine combination um yeah, yeah it's you, a exactly track. you, you yeah. can relate to it that somebody else has, has found a way to express that that they are able to express that and despite the fact that you know i'm probably nothing like her um i probably you know we're probably as different as different can be and yet we kind of i can <laughs> definitely connect through this song did you see her um you know the this series colors called colors her performance? no i didn't i've seen her live here i saw her live a, here oh, a few years ago yeah. and it was uh, really great yeah I mean, but that song she performs in, in Colors, oh, okay. I'll send you the link. You're going like, to like, love it a lot. It's great because with her body movement to it, it's, it's, it adds another element to it. Before we go to our next question, I actually, something else popped into my mind. Do you have a favorite record of yours? A favorite record? No. No, I don't think so. No, I'm con constantly, no, I'm constantly cycling through records. I'm looking at what's in my music room right now. And it's... What's next, right next to me? It's not, this is not the vinyl stuff. The vinyl stuff is in, in near the kitchen. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> cooking, cooking and vinyls yeah. <laughs> going hand in hand. I like that. Wow, what's this one? Um, all right, here's another, what? Brazilian singer, Marissa Monte.
Here's one by an Argentine singer, a guy named Lisandro Aristemundo Muno. Um, he supported us on tour when we were on tour. Pido que las noches no se quiebren en tu luz Y que las ventanas sean grandes para el sol Cuando los almendros no se pasen de estación Buscaré más flores para darte mi canción de amor Pido atardeceres en los cielos de Beltrán Mañana siempre sean para hablar Cuando los jardines no se pasen de estación Buscaré más flores para darte mi canción de amor Here's a, a young singer who now I think just moved to LA goes by the name of Vagabond uh, I think she just moved to LA Oh yeah. Um. Never meant to be you, never meant to be me, never meant to be us. Never meant for all of this, never meant for you to love, never meant for you to trust. So I'll take my time next time and I'll do it right. And I'll take my time A jazz record by Maria Schneider called Data Lords. <laughs> yep. I am so excited to tell you that we are getting ready to record again, and this time it's going to be a double album. That idea came when, in these latest times, I felt myself struggling to straddle two opposite worlds. One is the world of computers, the internet, social media, apps, phones, endless information. The other is life, reality, the natural world, human contact, peace and quiet that allows us to really go within or deeply connect to the things around us. I know that I experience the duality of this on almost a daily basis. So it isn't surprising that my music is reflecting both of these opposite worlds. I have never been so inspired writing music, and I'm having fun like I really don't remember. I am just so excited to record this album, and I cannot wait to record these 18 <laughs> masterful musicians. Do you get sent a lot of uh, records? No. And promos or is you literally I'm, going I'm, out getting this stuff? I, sometimes I get sent things, but I'm often going out and getting them or either kind of ordering it or buying it or whatever. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a favorite song of your own production? Uh, now that changes a lot too. There's, there's, I don't listen to my own back catalog very often. I, mean, I listen to it when I'm, when I'm preparing a tour or a show because I want to learn, oh, okay, we're going to have to pick some songs to do and see if we can construct a show out of it. And I listen to how the songs are put together and what, what seems to 
resonate with me. And yeah, it's often the case where there's some that I feel like there's always some that I feel like don't hold up very well. And I go, oh, <laughs> how come? <laughs> it seems like you were kind of exp you were experimenting here. And it's a, some nice kind of ideas, but sometimes it feels like, uh, I don't know if you can quite pull that off. I don't think you quite pulled it off, but uh, yeah, okay. But I just I realized, okay, no, I just kept moving on. And uh, some of those, yeah, some of those things, some of the things I recorded, I thought, oh, that, I don't know if I could, yeah, I don't know if I want to hear that again. <laughs> but um, other things, other things I, I think hold up pretty well. Could you name one track that holds well? I actually listened to one yesterday because I wasn't, I thought, what is this song about? It was because this song called Self Made Man. Um, and it's actually about, it's like a science fiction story. It's about an imaginary future for people can actually uh, trade in kind of genetic modifications. And there's a market for all sorts of things. And so I was trying to imagine what, what kind of world that would be. And so it works on that level. That's kind of a story or kind of a portrait of a, a, a world to come. But it also kind of works on a kind of metaphorical level, I think. I think it does. I think as uh, some friends have heard it and they have no idea that that's what I'm referring to. Um, I don't think. So I thought, oh, okay, that's good. That's, that's successful in a way. We're living in a dump Trying to figure out what Sex we are Exchanging chromosomes Trying to bargain for a better future Well, I trade you my potential mental illness for Your bad teeth How about trading your sexy body for Full head of hair Well, we can't predict the future Trying to do the best that we can My cards are on the table I'm gambling everything that I have And some of us are hoping To end up with a perfect life I'll trade you everything that I got For the chance to be someone else What you see is what you get And what you get is what you choose And what I have, what you see Is exactly what I chose to be Right, it's not immediate. It needs explanation. explanation well, yeah, to me context. you do, but for other people they don't need that explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, going back to some more intimate questions, what's the sexiest song after the heartbreak? You're out and about, feeling super sexy. I worked on a show called Social Distance Dance Club. <laughs> and, uh, and I that's love it. <laughs> and we did it. Uh, we had 100, 100 audience members over like a couple of weeks uh, coming. And I would lead them with my voice. And there was a playlist that, a D that we put together with a DJ. And a lot of the songs were, I thought, pretty sexy. Um, there's, is that playlist available? Is it online anyway? No, or that was just for for the event. It was just so. for the event. Um, mm. There were old old school kind of dance things like um, songs that I used to dance to either in clubs or at home or whatever. There was um, 
there was one by a group called the D Train, called You're the One for Me. And yeah. uh, I remember that that was always got a lift and dance floor. new songs in there. There was a song by a group called Salt, S-A-U-L-T, uh, called I Just Want to Dance. Wildfire. Uh, and yes, which yeah. is, talks about kind of current issues, the current social situation, but it's also a really nice dance track too, which is a nice combination. Is that social distance dance club going to happen again? We hope so. Can come become a member. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As things open up, we may take out the distance part, but uh, we hope. Yeah, we hope. We hope to find ways to do it again. <laughs> I love it. Well, David, to wrap up our little chat, if your life would be a movie, what song would play in the end credits? It really depends on the movie. I was just doing a, a song for the end of a movie recently. The movie has not come out yet. Oh with a group called Son Lux and uh, a singer named Mitski. And mm -hmm. we did, we all, I did a duet with her and they did the track. And it was for the end of this movie. And I, I was thinking, at the end of a movie, what do you want? You want something that gives you a slightly new perspective on what you've just seen. You don't want to just re repeat what you've just, say it again or recapitulate the same idea. You want to kind of like, now's the time to kind of shift a little bit and see, look at back at what you've just experienced from a different point of view. So I thought that's what we tried to do. Um, but I think that's what a, a song at the end of a movie should do. Have you done a lot of movie soundtracks? No, a few, but not very many. No, not very many. Well, David, it's been a real pleasure and an, and an honor. Thank you. I hope that we will get together hopefully very soon in New York at the Social Distance club or not so social distance by then <laughs> <laughs> okay all right. all right uh good talking to you i'll upload the um the audio tracks
thank you for tuning in this week. If you want to listen to the full playlist, visit areonair.com or our Spotify channel. You can also find us on Instagram and on YouTube at areonair. And a big thank you to my wonderful team at Studio Noi. I'm Armand Nafei and I'll speak to you soon.